So it gives me great pleasure to welcome on our podcast today, Vinny Vanguani, to talk about the importance of staying resilient and adaptive as a coach in these challenging times. Vinny's an accomplished professional coach with a very diverse background. He's got a degree in dental technology and a master's in forensic archaeology. Vinny began his career as a forensic imagery analyst, but in 2002, Vinny joined the Metropolitan Police and quickly excelled in operational policing, working in various units, including CID, community safety unit, burglary and robbery and the murder team. In 2009, Vinny transferred to Surrey Police in his major crime team and later transitioned to public protection. We dealt with domestic abuse, vulnerable um, adult abuse and child adult cases. Subsequently, he joined the complex abuse unit handling the force's most critical cases. Transferring to neighbourhood policing, Vinny applied problem-solving tactics to address chronic issues affecting local community. Vin is currently a detective inspector with Kent Police leading an operational team. And outside of the day job, Vinny is very active and involved in many charity endeavours and doing some great work for young people trying to help the communities that he serves. So Vinny, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show and welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Creighton. I, I hope, I mean, you're... you're experience and portfolio both in work and out of work is vast so i hope i haven't missed anything important that would be useful for our listeners to be be aware of i try uh, to think of everything but i think you've covered the majority of it majority and i, I think it gives our listeners a flavor of i guess all the different angles and perspectives that you see within communities and and society both in the police force and also out of it in your your charity work so let's get straight into the podcast, if I may. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, Vinny, tell our listeners what you've learned about yourself as you've gone through life and experienced many angles of society. And how has this informed your coaching practice? I guess from early years, um, being a, a person of colour and growing up uh, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, school was probably a tough um, period, um, partly due to um, racism uh, taking place, um, being isolated, did knock um, some of my con confidence, uh, I would say. Uh, and as growing up, being part of a family where expectations were uh, very rigid around going into a profession, uh, medicine, dentistry, accountancy, uh, etc. And then uh, as you end up growing up uh, and wanting to do something slightly different uh, and goes against the family norms, you suddenly soon start realising um, that you have to start looking a little bit inwards to try and get a little bit more confidence and courage to start stepping out of the norms. Uh, so I think learning about myself really started at the moment where I began to start looking at moving away from the norms, uh, yeah. so to say. Uh, and that would probably be around college time where uh, whilst, I'd, whilst I did my um, degree in dental technology, um, I started to shift during the university period uh, to do something slightly different uh, where I then led myself into the degree of forensic archaeology. I guess a, a period of toughness, really, because a lot of uh, family, community, 
expectations did put a little bit of pressure around why are you shifting uh, and I guess the the greater time where that came to um, front was when uh, I made the decision to go into policing from uh, my forensic uh, career, which really had a, uh, a huge family impact uh, in the sense that having first generation immigrant parents into the UK and their perception of policing uh, back in India um, is completely different to what policing is like in the UK uh, and corruption at a low level in India is quite high. So the moment I told them that I was going to join policing, they <laughs> thought I was going to be this corrupt um, police officer that's going to start taking um, uh, underhand bungs, uh, so yeah. to say. Uh, but I, as as I began my career, that apprehension was still present within the family. Um, and it was only due to the times when I started gaining my detective status, uh, when I began going through my promotion journey, where there was a shift, um, certainly in mindset around the professionalism uh, that started coming out and the importance of my role uh, within policing. And I think that acceptance made it a slightly easier but I think the previous years had um, sort of dented a little bit of um, confidence. Uh, so my journey into policing was probably slower than I probably would have wanted it to be. Yeah. So what I'm hearing here is those early years were very challenging and knocked your confidence um, with the acceptance that you felt maybe that you weren't getting. So what, what I'm curious about is where did you find that courage and that confidence? Where did that come from to make that quite a drastic shift culturally for you and, and the impact that it had obviously on, on your members of your family? I mean, back then, I probably didn't know what it was. Uh, and, and I was fortunate to be part of a workshop by a, a chap called Richard Divney, um, who's created a book called The Attributes. And it was from there uh, that I can start now pinning back. Uh, and one of the big things I learned from his uh, workshop was around courage. Uh, and uh, a lot of it is around how do you develop courage? Uh, and loads of people ask me, uh, and it was only through this workshop where I began to learn how you develop courage. And it's really about trying something new and taking that step past the threshold of fear. Once you pass that threshold, you suddenly start seeing the facts that are present for you to then start dealing with them. Before then or prior to that, you don't know what you're going to be dealing with because you haven't gone past or opened that door to see what's going to be available to be dealt with. So passing that threshold and constantly passing a threshold of doing something new, so learning a new instrument, trying uh, a new language, uh, meeting new people, are all new steps where you start building courage. And the more you do, like anything, a habit, uh, the easier and the efficient it gets. Uh, and, so, and I guess as you build up that courage, you're also building the confidence because you've got the confidence you, you can do it rather than you can't do it. So they absolutely. both go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. And now any new um, venture that I start looking at or if I start collaborating with someone, fear is a very much a small part of the whole element. Uh, there is nervousness, anxiety of uh, you know, inevitably when you're going into something new, but it's no longer powered by fear. It's powered by excitement and opportunities around what might come. Yeah. And, and, and I guess putting it into the coaching context, 
I mean, I've been coaching for over 20 years now. And when I meet a new coachee, there's an element of, I don't know whether I call it fear, but nervousness. Is it going to work? Am I going to be any good? Is the fit going to be right? So help our listeners understand how you manage that sort of experience of fear or nervousness, I guess, using my words, when you meet a first, you know, a new coachee. I think certainly during the the contracting uh, phase of the coaching relationship and when you're starting to um, just have that chemistry session is the space where certainly I start creating that space of psychological safety uh, mm. and then providing a space uh, and sharing my journey around how I've overcome uh, some of the elements that have initially been barriers. Uh, it gives them a sense of uh, sight that there is something that they will be able to overcome themselves uh, and just the little tips that I've learned from uh, the workshops around how to develop courage how to develop resilience uh, and robustness and it and it suddenly fits in with the coaching session uh, and part of the part of the conversation is to say uh, you know we will be looking at these elements and these attributes and threading them through your sessions it'll be very much directed by where you want to go with it more than anything yeah so you mentioned some sort of tips and things that you've learned just for our listeners to understand and learn from just give us some of those key elements to for listeners to consider to develop some of those attributes that you mentioned Uh, so certainly things like um, grit um, which covers um, courage perseverance adaptability resilience Uh, when you're looking at courage we've discussed uh, a little bit about courage Uh, perseverance um, is uh, and resilience is around every time you have a knockback not seeing it as a failure but seeing it as a learning opportunity and picking yourself back up and moving forwards no one should think it's a straight line to get from goal uh, from A to B, uh, mm. to recognise that, that that journey is uh, an up and down curve. It could come back on yourself and it could go back forwards uh, again. And recognising that um, will allow them to have the permission that if they do have a knockback, it's not the end of the world. Regroup. I certainly um, tell people to focus on three things. What went well? what didn't go so well and what could you do better next time Uh, and it allows them to quickly readily have a little learning journal that they can note down and they can start having that as part of a progressive journey to achieving their goals so i guess what you're talking about in coaching terms is reflective practice um and certainly from my experience i'm sure most if not all of the coaches on on the on the podcast will be aware that it doesn't always go great um but it's it's knowing that you can learn from that and always be better tomorrow um, which is a great approach to take. Absolutely. And writing it down, uh, you know, often people will have a self-reflection moment, uh, but it will stay in their head and often yeah. will either get forgotten um, or they'll be thinking and dwelling about it for a long period of time. When it's written down, they can choose what they want to do with that. If it wasn't a, a great session, they can screw it up, put it in the bin. And that just action just slowly takes the pressure off them, drops their shoulders and allows them to move forwards rather than staying stuck in one place. Yeah. And I guess from your police experience uh, and some of the, the roles that you, you've had, 
um, coaching, mentoring some officers and staff members, there would have been in that sort of that line from A to B, as you say, quite a few emotional elements. So how do you allow yourself to stay resilient and adapted to maybe some of the data and the things that you're having to to listen to and coach individuals on? It was a big challenge starting off and certainly um, Trayton, as you're aware, because you trained me, uh, <laughs> uh, my journey started within policing and a lot of my um, coaches came from various different departments with various different challenges. Um, so for me as a coach to be able to adapt to the type of data that was coming in from those various um, coaches was tough. And I guess that element comes or learning from as a coach uh, from that element comes from being able to compartmentalize um, and be able to task switch. Um, uh, and that is very much based on uh, stuff that I've learned from a policing context, from an operational one around being situationally aware. So if I'm aware of the various uh, environments that I'm working in, that others are working in, I'm able to start putting myself quite quickly into their shoes yeah, uh, and they're so quite empathizing quick. with them absolutely a, a tough yeah. journey as you're probably aware when we yeah. first started uh, my empathy journey uh, I often had to take little naps uh, just to recharge uh, myself uh, mm -hmm. but certainly being able to put myself into their shoes because I've experienced a number of different departments that I've worked in has made coaching within policing so much easier but I guess from a wider context beyond policing, because I have so many side hustles um, with other organisations and working collaboratively with others, I, I'm able to quickly put myself into other people's shoes quite quickly. Uh, so in the healthcare uh, industry, in the education industry, in the emergency services industry, the corporate um, industry, I'm able to quite quickly switch and put myself and my mind into their shoes. So it allows me to focus more on what they're saying and then hopefully come out with the right questions at the right time to then allow them to stretch themselves and then move forward. Yeah. And, and I guess what you're talking about here is a level of intelligence. And what I mean by that is an intelligence of understanding different sectors, different societies, different cultures and empathising because you can relate to those differences. And that situational piece is understanding the situation and those uh, those attributes and norms that people want to operate in. And you can align and adapt to that accordingly. 100%. And I think what helps me um, considerably is the fact that I can then share with coaches experiences from other sectors which may help them see a different perspective and a different insight um, yeah. to help them start uh, moving forwards yeah okay and, and and some of our listeners might be saying well isn't that being directive because you're sharing your own experience but for me that's just providing a different perspective for coaches to understand and to raise the coaches awareness of other options or different approaches that they may want to consider or even take yeah and predominantly um conversations will be non-directive um uh, and directive conversations that will only enter into the sessions uh, by permission uh, and you know the moment that acceptance of taking on a, a viewpoint or a perspective is given 
it's you know as a coach is going to be absorbed and taken on board far greater than if you just came out with it yeah yeah so it's, it's a blend of those different things yeah what are some of the you talked about a journey uh, it's been a fascinating journey of, of life and i guess your coaching journey is just one chapter of that what are some of the key lessons that you've learned about being a better coach and using all of those great attributes and that sort of intelligence to to start working towards a level of mastery uh, i guess my my biggest uh, learning came when I was coaching uh, a, an individual within policing who was neurodiverse, but I had no idea he was neurodiverse. Mm. Uh, and I began my coaching session, uh, and I think it was the first two sessions um, I had no idea. Uh, and there was a moment where he was looking at me in the eye, and there was a good gap of no conversation taking place. So I went in with another question and they answered the question. Uh, and during our feedback session at the end, uh, highlighted that they were just about to answer my previous question sure. <laughs> in further detail um, before I entered with my second question. And I, I guess that was a big learning journey, certainly for myself in terms of understanding uh, neurodiversity within the coaching setting uh, and then really actually started to get me to focus on learning more around difference uh, when I'm coaching uh, primarily because after that point we were able to have far more effective coaching sessions because I knew the body language that was going to be presented to me because they shared what how they would react um or the silent gaps etc so that information intelligence that i absorbed from the coachee allowed me for the future sessions to be more productive they grew far quicker they reached mm -hmm. their goals far quicker because we were now on that same common platform so every time i now have my contracting and chemistry session will incorporate once i've created that space of psychological safety to understand if there's any neurodiverse um, elements that i need to be aware of if there's any um, communication sort of connections that i need to learn about uh, that are individual to them so that i can make sure i incorporate that into the sessions as we move forwards yeah no nice and the question i always add in at that first phase is you know, how do you like to learn or how do you enjoy learning? And and a simple thing, is there anything else I can should be aware of that will, you know, stop us from having a, a great experience together? Um, so mm. that's some, some good learning. And it's glad that you've put that into your, your practice moving forward. And, and I guess that talks into being more adaptive as a coach, because as you and I know, as individuals come into a room, it's, it's always different. You know, the person always brings something the same but different because it's a different person giving that same topic or area. Um, what are the sort of ways do you adapt your style and approach and just notice things so you can be adaptive? Uh, I guess the skill set uh, on this area has been learned from the fact that I coach from six years old and above. Uh, so I coached my daughter uh, who was six years old, she's 13 now, um, and the language I used with a six-year-old to coach to now a teenager 
to coach uh, mm. and I now uh, and I now coach university students uh, as well as um, uh, postgraduates as well um, you suddenly begin to learn the different types of language terminology uh, individuals are using and that's the same across sectors as well they will yeah. always use a different type of language and to be able to do a little bit of research around the backgrounds of those areas becomes a little bit easier when you're actually starting to use your um, coaching sessions. So when they are providing their accounts, uh, their ideas and their options and their goals that, that they're eventually going to set, um, you can understand the terminology very quickly. Uh, so you're not utilizing those question spaces to say, what does that mean? Uh, and the fact that you've gone to the effort of doing that research around understanding some of the terminology around their industry, suddenly lets them get drawn into the sessions a lot better. They're immersed into the sessions because they know and they're confident and they have faith uh, in that you're there with them through that journey. Yeah. And, and I guess the other two things that I pick up is that they notice that you care and that they notice that you're relating to their world. You're not pushing your world onto them. So you're, you're I guess, empathising is, is the best word. You, you get it. And therefore, they'll want to open up and disclose more because, as you say, you've created that psychological safety. But you're also relating to my world and you're using my language, uh, which is great. I, I'm curious about coaching your six-year-old daughter. Uh, and I'm sure some of our listeners are as well. So what, what's been over the seven years, if my sums are right, that you've learned from a six-year-old compared to a, a teenager uh, coaching a teenager? <laughs> uh, the six-year-old was so much easier, uh, <laughs> I've got to say. Um, one of the things that I found was, um, as I was going through a, a management course um, I was on, uh, they had a kid's version of the same book. Uh, it was... Um, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits to Highly Effective People, but they had Seven Habits to Highly Effective Kids, uh, which was um, readable for um, children. So as I was doing one habit, I was getting my daughter to do her habit, and we would have discussions around each of the habits, and then how she could implement that habit in her school space at primary school. Um, and then she will tell me what she would do on most occasions, but uh, on on the general occasion, she wouldn't. Uh, and that was primarily when she was doing something that she uh, probably didn't want to share with me because she didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But unbeknown to me throughout that journey uh, that we were having our coaching sessions when she was six years old, she'd written a speech she presented a speech um, to the whole of her class to be uh, elected for school council for her class or her year group and presented it, came back uh, and said, I've just been elected as school council. Had wow. no idea she was preparing. Wow. Uh, Taking ownership and accountability for something. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and from that point, um, I thought I've got something here. Um, and then year on year, we began growing that coaching journey around. Uh, it wasn't a regular session, but it was opportunities where I found where she could learn. So where, uh, you know, she was struggling with homework, uh, we started looking around resilience, you know, perseverance, mm. not stopping where uh, we're going. So a lot of the attributes I now use, I start using within my coaching sessions. Uh, and as she's grown 
um, through the years and now a teenager, we've changed the level of the habits. So Stephen Covey has written one or his son has written one for teenagers. Okay, nice. Um, So they translate the same core habits in a teenage environment. So I've just let her go and read it. But we then have the same discussions with the same topic areas. She explains to me what's happening in her world. And I listen and try and put myself in the new teenager's mind, which is a Mm. tough challenge. Um, And we start working through the same processes Uh, and throughout um, not only primary school, but now secondary school. um, You see her putting herself forward for leadership roles. So I think she finished as um, vice chair for the school council for the whole um, of primary school. Uh, And then as she entered Um, secondary school within the first year she wanted to start looking at opportunities of uh, leading her class leading her uh, team so she's put herself into people's voice uh, as a a speaker and she's put herself as sports leader uh, as well always um, trying to hone in on those attributes that we really early on started Um, and it comes back to learning what I've just recently started doing in uh, the neuroscience world around making sure that there's elements of co-regulation that is being introduced at really early stages to support the young people to help them self-regulate. And just help the listeners understand the term co-regulation and I'm guessing when you say to help them regulate, regulate their emotions and their thinking. 100%. So a lot of this is around when children are quite young, they go through a whole load of emotions. Some they understand because they're easy Mm. to understand and some they don't and they can't put a word to it. And our role as part of co-regulation is to support them to understand what the emotions are that they're going through and sometimes put a name to it so they can understand to it and coach them on how they can then process that emotion through a coaching journey got it okay so it's identifying that is an emotion uh, accepting it and knowing it's a very natural human thing to have as an emotion label it i don't like that word but label it so we can understand it's a thing and then understand strategies to manage it and cope with it and process it so that they can cope with it i guess is what you're saying Absolutely. Uh, And I think it's important, uh, certainly in an environment that we are in now, post-COVID, an increase in mental health, and certainly in the younger population, that it's vital that we are able to help them self-regulate through co-regulation. Yeah. And I I see that not just in teenagers, but in my coaches who are, you know, senior individuals still trying to work out that emotion that they're having especially as you say through post-covid and trying to work out the new world of work and what that means to them as a as a human being but also uh, as a leader and i guess many coaches are also trying to work that out because you know we're coaches we're humans as coaches um and we have those emotions so trying to process that ourselves and and use some of those skills and approaches that we use with coaches on on ourselves as coaches with that self-reflection and just writing down those notes i guess yeah Uh, and uh, importantly on that point our co-regulators um if if that's uh, the word we can use are our coaching supervisors yeah Um, yeah good point 
I have one um, uh, and I started uh, using her. Catherine Chowdhury is my one. Uh, and I started using her through my training journey uh, and I've kept with her since. Uh, and it's a real great opportunity to have an independent person to be able to decompress and take away the emotional load that coaching will inevitably not sometimes it will inevitably put on you yeah. and in order for you to be a an effective and efficient coach you need to be able to put that aside and allow new space um, to absorb the emotional energy that you're going to go through when you're coaching someone yeah i, I think that's great advice and wise words Vinny. and any coach that's listening that hasn't got a, a supervisor please uh, you know, align to that and, and try and seek one out and, and use it because it's great for staying resilient and adaptive and effective and efficient, as you say, uh, as a coach. Vinny, time as ever gets in our way. I could speak to you all day. Um, I've got one final question that I put to all my guests, if I may. Um, and my question is very simple. Our purpose at Coaching Focus is around coaching for a better tomorrow. So in your own words, describe to me what you believe coaching for a better tomorrow is all about? Um, I think there's three things that are um, emerging for a better tomorrow. Um, one of the advantages that we've now got is the ability to virtual coach uh, as well as face-to-face -face coaching, which makes coaching accessible to more people. Mental health uh, and integrating that into um, our coaching sessions uh, to understand the emotional well-being and the psychology that our coaches are going to go through as they navigate themselves through goal setting and coaching journey. I think what we're also seeing uh, more of now is specialised coaching and niches that are getting created. Uh, and we're getting coaches that are specialising in career coaching, in relationship coaching, health and wellbeing coaching, financial coaching, uh, performance coaching, a whole vast uh, I've recently seen one on nutrition coaching. Um, so there's a whole vast of coaching that's taking place. And it's, I guess, the um, options that are now available for coaches is far greater uh, than they have ever been before to be able to start tackling those specific goals that you want to start uh, working on. You'll find still coaches present, I think, uh, working towards but yeah um, the holistic part of coaching but I think the three new things that I, I think we've got um, great hope for for that tomorrow is virtual coaching mental health incorporation and our specialized uh, niches within coaching yeah thank you and I, and I see coaching coming to the fore to really support and facilitate individuals being better not just a better tomorrow but individuals and teams and organizations and society being better tomorrow so, Vinny, thank you for your time sharing your story. It's an amazing one. Um, we'll have to do another podcast because I'm sure there's lots more that uh, our listeners will want to understand. But thank you for your time and, and thank you for the contribution, not only that you provide to the community in your policing, but outside of policing and the charity support that you do as well. It's much appreciated. Vinny, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Cheers.